Jimmy Smith unlocking the cage. On today's podcast, we discuss Sean Strickland on what he's allowed to get away with in the UFC and how the UFC should handle it because he said some really offensive things. Is Kamaru Usman the biggest threat to Israel Adesanya at middleweight or should he stay at 170? Sean Strickland, of course, this weekend taking on Jakob Hermanson, a real contrast in styles, a real contrast in personalities, uh, big stakes that I've talked about in a middleweight division where there's no real clear 100% contender for a dominant champion in Israel Adesanya. Uh, there's always that room. Someone could sneak in. That someone could do it. That person could be a dominant Sean Strickland or a dominant Jakob Manson. They both could happen. So, that being said, Sean Strickland, of course, at Media Day, saying some odd stuff. And not only did he say some odd stuff, he addressed his ability to say odd stuff. So, this is Sean Strickland on saying the stuff, the weird stuff he is saying and not getting cut by the UFC. No, you know what it is? You know what it is? Like... I'm getting to a point where I could say shit and not get cut from the UFC, you know? So before, it's like, oh, man, I wasn't good. Like, I couldn't I couldn't say shit because Dana White would be like, hey, go fuck that white trash motherfucker. Get him out of here. But now, since I'm getting a little bit more, like, you know, fan-based, people want to watch me fight, I could say a lot more offensive shit, so it's nice. You know, now I'm just going to be the white trash motherfucker that I am. Okay. Um... Is right, the first question, I guess, is, is he wrong? Is he to the point where he won't get, get cut? The issue here that Sean Strickland is, is, <sighs> the, what he's referencing is guys with juice, guys with ranking, guys with, Ability and potential and all this stuff don't suffer the same consequences as, as everyone else. That's what he's saying. And he believes he's on that side of the line. He's on the good side of the line. That I say what I say and I'm not going to get cut. But is that true? Um, the problem is that he's talking about a hypocrisy, right? That the, the rules don't apply to everybody. And when I look at it, he's not wrong about that. But Dana White has also allowed fighters that weren't great to, to say things that were horribly offensive. He didn't cut them either. Javid Basharat. Does everyone remember that? Dana White's contender series was called a terrorist by his opponent, won by knockout. Um, his opponent, whose name I, I'm, I'm trying to remember and I can't right now, I'm going to look it up in a second, wasn't anybody great. Is on contender series. You're nobody. And Dana White said, I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm not. That's not my problem. And it's not as though... He was taking on somebody that was that was super important. Um, Oren Collin was the guy's name. Just look it up right now. Oren Collin. Uh, he got away with calling his opponent, who's Afghani, a terrorist, which is a very hot button thing to say. Not just a slur; it's a very sensitive topic. Period. An Israeli fighter calling an Afghan fighter a terrorist, and there were no consequences. And 
Colin, not a big guy, not a ticket seller. But Sean Strickland is saying once you are a ticket seller, you can get away with anything. My argument, I've seen people who aren't ticket sellers get away with a lot. But there is that idea, which I have pointed out a few times on this show, that, how can I put it, a, a, there, there, there's a double standard in consequences, where Dana White has all the power to do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. He chooses not to. When I had Laura Senko on and we were talking about this issue, she said, well, who is he to tell somebody what to say? And I said, there's a conduct policy that specifically says he has the right to punish and suspend for various conduct infractions, including disrespectful language to an opponent. It's just when he decides to enforce it and when he doesn't. So he's kind of pointing out a hypocrisy within the UFC, which is true to some degree. But I also point out that fighters that weren't on the line of somebody being pushed have said things that were reprehensible and haven't had consequences. So where that line is, we don't really know. So he also talked about getting to the point of Conor McGregor in terms of that protection level, if he's champ, hit it. Right. No, it's even better now because when you're a champion, I could go full like Conor McGregor. I could go fucking hit a old guy in a bar, fucking throw a fucking, throw a, try to fucking assault Khabib's manager, Ali. You know, it's fucking even better, dude. Oh, God. Uh, what do you say about something like that? Like, the idea that Conor's crappy behavior is somehow a, a goal uh, is just beyond me as a person. I'm just not like that. Um, it, it, it brings up a larger question when a guy like Sean Strickland go, see, look, this is how you get over in the UFC. See, look, there aren't any, I can do whatever the hell I want. Look, he's not wrong, which is the crappy part is he's not wrong where this precedent of, yeah, there are no consequences once you're champ or once you're a big draw. It's disappointing that he's not wrong. But he's not. And you see the effect. He is saying, if there were consequences, I wouldn't do this. And when there were consequences. And he said, my coaches used to tell me not to run my mouth off before I got signed. Or when I was not winning all the time. Because they might cut you. So there was a time when he had self-control because he felt it was necessary. Now he doesn't feel that it is necessary and he's not going to do it. So there are consequences to, you know, letting fighters say and do whatever the hell they want whenever they want. Is there going to get people like Sean Strickland and go, ah, great, wonderful. So my big question, I guess, I know we're in combat sports. I know they beat the crap out of each other and all that stuff. Is it all in all good for the sport? Is it good for the sport that it's seen as a refuge for people to say terrible stuff about not just their opponent, but people in general? And not worry about any consequences. NFL player could never say this stuff at a press conference and not get a fine, not get suspended, not, not, not suffer some consequences. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? We'll get back to that in a minute. So this is what we had to say about a potential title fight and Israel Adesanya. I mean, ideally, ideally Brunson beats um, Cannonier, and maybe I could like if I do an impressive performance, I can you know dump and dodge and get a title shot. 
that'd be that'd be the perfect world. But at the end of the day, man, I'm just here to fight, make some money. But yeah, if I get a title shot, fuck yeah, let's go. I'll make fun of style benders fucking titty all day long. Okay, that's eh, not that bad. The guy did have a uh, uh, a, a a a pectoral muscle with some fluid in it, which is often a side effect of steroids. He says it was something else. Fine. But I don't consider that over-the-line trash talk, KOB. Is that fair? I don't consider that over-the-line. Like I'm offended over-the-line. I don't make fun of it. Yeah, well, not... I mean, half of Twitter called it out. Right, yeah, yeah. It's not, you know. Already. So, yeah, it's not exactly the worst. Yeah, it's not over-the-line like, to me. It's not that He's bad. actually just uh, saying, uh, I'm actually going to 100% make fun of right, it. Right, right. So. <laughs> I will 100% uh, make fun of the titty, and that's the way it goes. That's, to me, not that bad. So, uh, he actually compares... Fighting in the UFC to adult entertainment, is it? I don't know, dude. Like, you know, I obviously think that I'm a fucking prostitute for the UFC. So it's like, I like that they give me money, but like, I'm not going to sit here and wear a suit and think I'm anything other than just a dogfighter. I mean, in the day, we get, we locked in the cage, we punch each other in the face, we try to kill each other, we make somebody millions, and we get paid fractions of that, which I'm not hating. I love my job. I love what I get paid, but come on now. We're not doing anything special. You guys watch us. We're like a fucking circus. We're like pornography. It's something you, you like, you want to fucking, you know, you want to jerk off to, but you don't necessarily want to do. <laughs> okay. I find that analogy a wee bit confusing. Uh, I, I, I do like the candor of I'm not going to pretend I'm something. I'm not. I'm out there to beat somebody up for money. And that doesn't make me a stand-up citizen. I'm not going to pretend to be a stand-up citizen. There's a, there's a certain honesty and candor to that that I do appreciate. But it kind of brings us back, doesn't it? To the discussion we were having 10 minutes ago about Colby Covington. And is it better or worse that what he's doing is a shtick? Is it just you are what you really are? In which case, you are a reprehensible person. So that sucks. Or are you pretending to be a reprehensible person? Which you could argue in some ways is even worse. That you don't really feel this way, but you're propagating this kind of thinking. Which... Do you guys... Were you guys NWA fans? The group NWA? Any of you? Either of you, KLB, Kelly? I mean, I know you're a hip later. I was a little too young at the time, but yeah, later on. Right. I, as people know, um, went to school in Long Beach, California. That's originally where I'm from. And I knew people. I, they're too old for me to know them personally. I didn't, I didn't know them personally. I know people who are a little older than me who did know them personally. Who went to school with them, hung out with them. Compton and Long Beach are right next to one another. My family was actually originally from Compton. It, it, it's it. So I knew people who knew them personally. And whenever I would talk about that, or people would talk about it, they'd come up somehow. The older guys who knew them would start laughing. And almost always they'd go, they were no gangsters, man. They'd go, Dr. Dre was the, the party DJ. He was the party guy. He'd show up at your, your house with all the records, and, and, and he'd work the party and be a DJ, and that was it. Ice Cube was like 17. When NWA was making albums, he's still in high school, hadn't done anything, hadn't driven a car. And it's all about gangs and drugs, and he goes, they never lived that life. They never did. And yet, kids listen to it and are influenced by it, and they never actually did it. Except Easy, that was it. 
He was the only one who really actually sold drugs and actually got in trouble. The rest of them had, had no idea what that life was like. They were around it, but they didn't live it. Now, I'm not condemning them. I like NWA's music. They were talking about things they had seen, which is what an artist does. They take the world around them and use it in their art. But there's a grain of salt to all of it. You never killed anybody. And that idea that you are what you pretend to be, so you so be careful what you pretend to be. It's Kurt Vonnegut, Mother Night. Great book. I suggest reading it. And it's a similar kind of thing where... Sean Strickland is saying, I could stop from doing this, but I know there aren't consequences, so I do it. There's Colby Covington, who says, and I've you know done phone interviews with Colby Covington, and I've said this before, if you didn't know it was Colby Covington, you would have no idea it's the same guy. Very respectful about uh, Rafael Dos Santos. Not one Colby Covington-ism the entire phone call. Yeah, man, good you know, good fighter, man. It's got a good ground game. I got to watch this and that. And then, oh, man, that bum got melted by a featherweight. I, different guy, man. And because we're so in it. We're so in the trenches, right? I'm sitting in a trench right now, MMA combat trench on radio talking about it. You kind of forget that not everyone's a big fan. And you might lose some of those people if they see this as the last bastion of the troglodyte meathead idiot. I don't see it that way, but I've been in it for 20 years. Is there a segment of the population that will never embrace MMA the way they've embraced the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and some degree boxing, as long as this stuff is allowed to happen? That people can point to people like Sean Strickland and Colby Covington and go, yeah, it's, it's the land of the, the trash. This is a sport of trash. I don't think that, but I'm in it. Seeing it from the outside, does it hold the sport back in a certain way? KOB, what do you think, man? Because that's a stereotype. We're all a bunch of animals. I don't know if they're ever going to huh. beat that stereotype. And yeah. It's, but this doesn't help. <laughs> because here was the thing, and, that, and I also think it's become even a, a point of Dana, too, of, like, why people will defend some of the things that Dana says, even though, like, we'll come out here and be like, well, I, how, how could you possibly say this when you said this before? Right. MMA, and especially the UFC, was such a niche thing, fighting for everything, that the fans were really loyal and we felt like like this sport was different from the others. Like our guys got to say what they wanted, including our 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 you know the president of UFC. He wasn't your typical owner. He wasn't Roger Goodell. He wasn't he wasn't the straight laced guy. He said what he thought, and we all kind of loved it. And that's how we came up with it. And now it's as it's gained more mainstream appeal. You wonder like, okay, well, is that good for the outside audience? Like, if right, you try yeah. to bring in new people, right? Yeah, the MMA right. fans, we don't care, and we're kind of used to it, and we just go about our day. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Is there that line there? I, I don't think there is, and I don't think there ever will be. I, I, it's something I remember, I think it was a friend of Luke's had said to him, and it's like, dude, if if, if, a, if a nutcase can't fight in a cage, what are we doing here? Like, what's what's the big problem? Like, that's that's that, that's the game. This is the least of things that they should be able to do. And I think we've just, the toothpaste has been out of the tube way too long to try to get back in again. It's just, this is the sport. These guys are going to say things. What What the line is in terms of what's, you know, bad play, what's not. At the end of the day, if they're going to get in a cage and fight, that's up for debate. But, like, yeah, as far as will it ever get reined in, no. 
I don't know if you can. I really don't know if you can. You certainly can because even Sean Strickland said, I didn't want to say this stuff early because I get cut. He knows it's a possibility before he's a draw that he could get cut. The power is there. Should it be exercised? When I had Laura Senko on here, and I say, yeah, I called him a terrorist. Do you think that should be reined in? Well, no. Of course. What if it had been the other way around and he had used an anti-Semitic slur against the Jewish guy, the Israeli? Well, yeah. And I go, well, so there is a line. Well, yeah, of course you can't do that. Well, okay. So there is well, one. Here's the deal. Yeah. There's a line. But I do wonder what the contract situation is in terms of, you know, What's the course of action? We suspend you. That means we there, can just cost the the, con- I mean, the conduct policy says they can. Jimmy, we we've gone over the conduct. No, policy. but you say contract. <laughs> it's in there. Yeah, it's in there. But I'm saying like so the me- the mechanism exists. This becomes a thing, and like, yeah. will the UFC ruin a card if it's a big time person? If Conor McGregor has another tirade like he had when, when back when he was about to fight Habib, you taking Conor off the card? You suspended him? No. Okay, then how are you going to suspend this other guy? Like there, I do think that. At this point, yes, even though it may be in a contract, there is plenty of it. Like, let's say you actually did suspend someone and punish them. There is plenty of past action to where I think a, a fighter could bring that to court and be like, nope, unfairly treated. Look at all these examples of someone doing something similar or worse, and the UFC did nothing, and I get suspended. You, you're opening yourself up. That's why I don't think the UFC is ever going to do it. It's one, called – so what? Do you, it's going to cost you cards, Luis... and, then, and then there's a precedent. Look, here's the deal. The, the code is called sole discretion, which means I can do it when I feel like doing it. That's, that's what the term sole discretion means. So unless you can prove that it was because you are of a specific race, which violates federal law, or gender, which violates federal law, or sexual orientation, which violates federal law, sole discretion means we can do it when we feel like. And that's in the clause itself. So that would fall flat. The second thing is John Jones got no uh, no consequences at all from the UFC for domestic battery. Luis Pena got cut for domestic battery. Exact same charge. So there, it has been enforced before in ways, oh, man, if it's got to do it to this guy, then it's got to do it to that guy. No, they don't. <laughs> they didn't do Luis Pena. They didn't do it to John Jones. So it's, it's that idea of it's not uniform across the board, and they don't enforce any of it. So it's there. The mechanism's there. They just don't use it, or they choose when to use it. And so that's what the sport really has to deal with, is that it, it can be enforced, it just isn't. And Sean Strickland is saying that. I thought it would be enforced against me early. Now I'm not worried about it. And that's we what know it's funny, light, which isn't bad necessarily. The, the domestic violence stuff with John Jones, yeah, you would think there would be a uniform policy across the board for something yes, like that. Yes, you would imagine. Because that's something that I think everyone would agree is absolutely reprehensible and someone should have to pay, face some kind of punishment. What fighters say and don't say, I think that becomes a problem because it becomes a line of taste. And it's like, I almost feel like MMA fans, if, if, if an MMA fan's like, oh, that was rough. Like, that's almost like the ultimate line of like, all right, maybe you went too far. Like, if the MMA fans go, all right, dude, t- t- dial it back a bit. <laughs> like, because we are so used to anything. Like, I, I always laugh when someone gets in trouble for saying something like seemingly innocuous, like in, a, in football or MLB. And at MMA fans, we just look for like, what are you kidding? Oh, my man? God, that's, yeah. We, dude, we hear worse that, than that every week, right? Dude, yeah. that, that's, that's a big deal. That's Tuesday for us. Like, <laughs> like come on now. Insane. 
It's insane. So we'll see. This will develop. This will be an issue for a long time in the UFC. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM. Channel 156. We've been talking about the middleweight division. Why? Because we have a lot of fights coming up. And one of the things I have been vocal about is what I don't see is that one big contender. I don't see that one name where if this person has a great performance, they could be the next one. Now, any one of them could. But I don't see that next challenger right now who could really... Who really lights the division on fire? So, what are the upcoming fights? We have Yaker Manson uh, versus Sean Strickland coming up this weekend. We do have that. We have Jared Cannonier versus Derek Brunson coming up on the under, uh, not on the undercard, on the main card underneath uh, Israel Adesanya, Robert Whitaker. We have that. We have Paulo Costa for some reason calling out Marvin Vittori as if he's in a position to call his shot, which is absurd, but. That's what we have right now, okay? That's what's coming up. Any of those contenders, I don't know. I would say Cannoneer with a big knockout win over Derek Brunson would be my number one. But anybody could could realistically do it. <sighs> Which leaves me with his hermano, his paisan, his fellow Nigerian, Israel Adesanya. Who am I talking about? Of course, Kamaru Usman. The welterweight champion who is running roughshod over the division. And unless you are an absolute idiot, you know that the only challenge of his career so far has been Colby Covington. He has beaten Colby Covington twice, second time in his last fight by unanimous decision. There is nobody on the horizon right now that I see beating Kamar Usman except you know, it was Kamzat Shemaev. He's just the X factor. Maybe he does something great over the next year. But they're friends. They are countrymen. They like one another. They don't want to fight one another. But Ali Abdelaziz, of course, the manager of Kamar Usman, recently said via TMZ Sports that it's a possibility. This is him in his own words. And I want him to go fight. Israel Adesanya at the middleweight title. It happens, Ali. I I know you want this, and we've talked about this before. Is there any chance that Kamaru would do it, though, with the African connection? Bro, listen to me. At the end of the day, these guys, I don't think these guys, they're cool, but I don't think it's like best friends. Right. Listen, if there's enough money for both of them to fight, they will fight in the parking I know how people work. This have nothing to do with loyalty. This have nothing to do with... Because these guys, not like they train partners, they brothers... You know what I'm saying? They're African brother. And it's a whole lot about, you know, being African. Because I'm African too. Okay. I like what Ali is saying there. Sure, they're both African. They're African brothers. That's that's in a very general way. They're not training partners. They're not sparring partners. They don't work together. None of that. They don't have this deep bond that would keep them from fighting for a lot of money. And also, when you learn to speak managerese, which you do after a while in this business, you learn to speak managerese, 
Every manager is always going to say this. Would you do X for enough money? Would you, for enough money, would you do this for enough money? That's what a manager is always going to say, whether it's true or not. All right, whether it's true or not, his job is to get the best offer on the table possible for his guy or his guys, whomever. And that's the deal. I'm trying to get as much money as I can. He's planting the seeds of for enough money, these guys will fight. <sighs> Couple questions here. Will this fight happen? I called it here, I think it was yesterday, maybe the day before. If Kamara Usman finishes 2022 undefeated, this fight happens. Because by then, I think by the end of this year, Kamzat Shumayev is an actual contender. Because it only take one or two for him to get there. Let's say he does it by the end of 2022 with his crazy-ass schedule. Uh, he could. He likes, fight. he likes to fight frequently. He's shown no fear, etc., etc., etc. He might be able to get there. But... If Kamaru Usman finishes 2022 undefeated, I don't think there's anywhere to go but a title showdown with Israel Adesanya. There's nowhere to go. Um, so the fight will happen if he finishes 2022 undefeated, which is not a chip shot. That is not easy. The second side of this, aside from the fight happening, which I think only happens if he finishes the year undefeated, is he the biggest threat to Israel Adesanya at middleweight? I'm going to list off some names here. Sean Strickland. Bobby Knuckles. Okay, Robert Whitaker. We have uh, Kelvin Gastelum. What do all of those fighters who are right now, if not contenders currently, and I'm speaking about Kelvin Gastelum, certainly was a contender. In fact, gave Israel Adesanya's toughest test. What do they all have in common? They're all former welterweights. All former welterweights that moved up and had a lot of success. Darren Till tried to do that. Didn't happen. Okay? Uh, when I look at it, could Kamar Usman, who's the best welterweight of his generation, uh, with a bullet right now, by far, only Colby Covington is, is close, and he's second. Uh, could he have that kind of success? Here's, let me break this down one piece at a time. Only Kelvin Gaslam, of those fighters I mentioned, had success against Israel Adesanya. That was a while ago. That is not recent history. It isn't. Uh, did he beat Sean Strickland, Kamar Usman? Yes, he did. But once again, that was a while ago. That was a while ago. It's 2017. Different guy now. All the fighters I just named, I don't think they beat Israel Adesanya. Uh, Kelvin Gaslam didn't. Robert Whitaker didn't. Okay, Sean Strickland I don't think does. We're going to find out this weekend if he's even capable of that. When I do think about it, did they have success against Israel Adesanya? So, no, they haven't. So it's not like one of these guys beat him and uh, Kamal Usman can follow that path. No. We don't know. So there's that. I also don't believe with his frame and his size and his style, he has a lot of success. Why? The right hand of Kamara Usman has always been his equalizer. 
especially recently, he's really learned how to turn that thing over and knock mother efforts out at 170. I don't think he knocks him out at 185. Power punchers, as a rule, and there are exceptions to every rule, as a rule, power punchers do not change weight classes well. Why? Because a power punch at 170 is not a power punch at 185. It just isn't. You can knock guys out at 170, you go to the 185, they can take that punch, and they can move forward. Robert Whitaker does have knockouts. He does. Knocked out Jacare. But typically, he's not a knockout puncher at 185. He has a lot of movement. His style's funky. He's very technical. He's pretty quick. He's well-rounded. All that stuff translates weight class very, very well. Kamaru Usman has a devastating right hand, and he has excellent wrestling. That doesn't usually translate that well. Because you're not going to be the bully at 185. You're not going to easily corner guys at 185. Once you do get them cornered, the idea that you wear them down with your double legs, I, I, I don't see him doing that to a lot of He can beat certain guys at 185. Does he beat Izzy? No. Robbie Lawler was a great 170-pounder. He was a champion at 170. I remember his first run in the UFC. He was 19 years old. By the way, a little trivia if you didn't know that. First MMA fight on cable TV for free was Robbie Lawler versus a guy named Steve Berger. Okay? He was on the best damn sports show, period. Knocked out Steve Berger. My point is, going down the history path here, is Robbie Lawler was a great 170-pounder. At the end of his career in the UFC, he moved to 185. Uh, lost, by the way, uh, in his last fight in the UFC at 185. And then spent his whole strike force run at 185. He was not a great 185-pounder. Uh, he was not. Why? Because he was a power puncher. And it just didn't translate. So, you know, he's not laying guys out at 170. Well, lost to Jason Miller. Lost to Evan Tanner. That was the one in the UFC. Lost to Jake Shields, lost to Hanato Babalu, lost to Jacare, lost to Tim Kennedy, lost to Lorenz Larkin. Went back down to 170, what happened? Went on a run and won the title. That style of I'm a heavy brawler and I knock guys out, that doesn't work when you move up 15 pounds. They can take that shot. So I believe stylistically, Kamaru Usman has a lot of trouble at 185 pounds, especially with a guy like Izzy, who's not going to stand in front of him. He's not going to fall for the, the right hand. He's not going to be a sitting duck for the takedown. He's going to move an angle and make Kamaru Usman chase him around. The one issue with Kamaru Usman is he doesn't have a very versatile striking style. I'm not saying he's not a good striker. He is. He's fundamentally, fundamentally really sound. He has a solid right hand. He doesn't do a lot of stuff where you go, wow, never seen that before. Wow, how did he learn that? Hands high, good combinations, powerful striker, good timing, good kicks, nice sense of range. He doesn't do the Israel Adesanya, holy crap, where did that come from? He doesn't do that. And so figuring out his style isn't particularly difficult. Getting around it is hard. Figuring it out is not that difficult. And I don't think that bodes well at 185 when those guys can take a power shot and 
the champ, Israel Asani, is not going to fall for a simple overhand right. KOB, you are the rudder of this ship. Am I being fair with my criticism? I will listen to you if I'm not. Run me back the highlights real quick, Jimmy Smith. Basic style, good right hand, used to physically bullying guys, and he would have to take on a 185-pound champion who moves very, very well as an, in, in, and who is unorthodox. That's why I think he doesn't do well in a title fight at 185 pounds. Yes or no for Kamar Usman? <sighs> See, here's the thing. With how effortlessly Blahovich was able to take Izzy down, I find that aspect at 205. At it's 205. 205. It was 205, and I've always yes. I've always given that defense. But I always feel yes. like there is a real lack of true wrestling at 185. So he just doesn't see it. Like, you can train it all day. And we've seen improvements in that for sure from Izzy over, over the course of his career. Someone as decorated and, and good at it as Kamaru, that might be the difference maker, is that if he could, if he could re- redo that same thing and get Izzy to his back. But, yeah, on the feet, oh, that's, a, that's, that's not a good look. That's not sure. a good look at all. But let's break it down stylistically t- t- to your point that Jan Blahovich, who's not a great wrestler, but a hell of a lot bigger. The problem is Kamaru Usman's wrestling style is effective, but not super, not a Ben Askren, whereas his really funky, creative takedown, he gets in these weird positions, low single leg, hang on to it, come out the back door. He doesn't have a funk style. He has a come right at you, basic double leg style. That I think a guy like Israel Asanya against a smaller guy in Kamar Usman can be prepared for and get around. He's much more Matt Hughes than Ben Askren. For people who don't remember Matt Hughes, he had basically a blast double leg, a couple simple things, and that's what he did. And it worked, he never changed it. Kamar Usman's style is a grind you down, clinch you like crazy. He didn't get takedowns at will against uh, Damian Maya. I was there in Argentina when they fought. There was a lot of clinching. He was up against the fence the whole time. Didn't get a lot of, of, of sweet takedowns because Damian Maya has very good hips. But he was just in his face the whole time. And I don't think that works against Israel Adesanya. He has a, has a clinch-heavy style with a basic double leg. That's what he does in, in, in MMA. He's not going to trick Israel Adesanya. And only have a size to bully him the way Jan Blahovic did. That's the way I see it. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. Sirius XM Podcasts.